Entering the hive of scum and villainy. I love democracy. The old Senate will no longer be of any concern to us. My allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! Rebellions are built on hope. Your focus determines your reality. Luke, you're going to find that many of the truths we cling to depend greatly on our own point of view. Hello, and welcome to Beltway Banthas, the Star Wars podcast live from the hive of scum and villainy in our very own galaxy, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Stephen Kent, and I'm joined today for our roundtable portion of the show by friends of Beltway Banthas, Nick DeColandria and Danielle Adams. We're going to save democracy right here, right now, for all eternity on this very podcast, which is very, very exciting. Nick, Danielle, are you excited to save democracy on today's roundtable? A hundred percent. Woke up ready. Awesome. Uh, awesome. <laughs> that's why that's why that's why you're here for that kind of pro democracy saving the world energy. It's really nice to hear both of your voices. You guys are both friends of Beltway Banthas. You are my counterweights today from the left. And we're going to be talking about uh, democracy and whether or not it is currently in a condition uh, worth saving and what we can do to try to make it better in America and like what lessons uh, we can derive from Star Wars about what it takes to lose democracy and how to preserve it. There's just a lot that I want to put on the table, and I, I don't even know where to start besides to say that this entire episode was conceived uh, the day that Donald Trump tweeted this on July 30th, 2020, a sitting U.S. president took to Twitter and said the following, quote, with universal mail-in voting, not absentee voting, which is good, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history, it will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely, and safely vote. So, <laughs> safely vote. There's a there's a first time for everything, uh, and for Trump's uh, most committed critics, uh, this kind of anti-democratic expression didn't really come as a surprise. But I, I just have to say. I was I was horrified and it for one of those moments where I've always been pretty wary of this president was just really like I I feel like we might lose something that we can't get back this November. Um I'm sure both of y'all saw that tweet. And I'm going to get to the Star Wars here in a minute, but I just want to put it out there. What did you think when you saw that? Did that make you feel anything new that you haven't already felt in the past couple of years of the the Trump administration? Well, for me, I've, I've seen these attacks on um, voting for a while, especially in black and brown communities. So fighting voter suppression and <laughs> has never, <laughs> it is not anything new, but it was taken to an extremely new level. Um, I can't say that I was shocked. It's the same as you know, fast forward a couple of months and he comes to North Carolina and tells folks to vote twice just to test the system. Mm -hmm. And um, folks having to be like, hold up, no, 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 that's definitely a felony. Please don't do that. Um, but I think in that moment, it just sort of reinforced. To me, it was like 
I told you so kind of moment, not like a shock, but it's like, come on guys. Like you can't deny now that (laughs) this may be our last somewhat free election, um, that this may be our last shot at democracy. Um, if we don't get it right, like this has been the plan and the buildup, not just in this term, but like starting back in 2010. So I wasn't surprised. I don't think you were either, Nick, were you? Oh no, not all Danielle. I totally agree when I, I mean, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was shocked when I saw that tweet because I, I feel that for it to have shocked me would have convinced me that people that would be supporting him otherwise could be convinced that, okay, he is a terrible person. But uh, for me, it was a, it was a direct attack on democracy and our institutions. Um, and like you said, Danielle, just a few months later, coming out here in North Carolina and saying, hey, go vote twice. And for us to have our attorney general, I think yesterday, uh, you know, actually come out with like an eight tweet plan of how not to vote twice because your vote's going to count uh, the first time you send it in. Um, I, I, for me, it's been kind of a flip from 2016 where we really thought back then he's going to do some outrageous stuff and it's going to turn off people immediately. And we saw that in the 2018 elections. But uh, as of late, just from Hunker and just from the supporters on, I, I don't want to say the far right, but I, I mean, I, don't, I feel like I know people otherwise I would be normally shocked to think of supporters of democracy, just look at his actions and just shrug and just say, well, everybody's crooked and Trump's no different, which is to me, then thus the threat of democracy. He has mm-hmm. gotten into, I'm not going to say average people's brains, right? But everybody's brain in a way that he is no different than any other corrupt politician that they might have seen in the last 10 years. And they're all the same. When in reality, that is not the case. Um, and I think most folks do have that penchant for hyperbole when it comes to politicians and attacks on democracy and all these things. And maybe that has kind of set us up for failure right now. But when you really look at his actions and the way he talks about voting and how, you know, there's good people on both sides and, you know, thinking about martial law when it comes to, you know, suppressing people's right to protest, none of that has shocked that basis of of his support like you would otherwise believe it could have done, let's say, if George W. Bush did that, right, after Mm -hmm. 9-11, or even uh, if maybe Clinton did that after Oklahoma City or something of the sort where we had, you know, this really kind of fear-based mentality again. So, yeah, I mean, I, w- I, w- I was not shocked. I was outraged again, which is nothing new, but it- it's, it's just more part, just more, it's par for the courts for this guy. Yeah, I think something you mentioned there just reminded me of, I think my, my central political bias that I have is that I, I tend to always believe that people are acting in good faith, that they are engaged in the system because they believe in the way that it is structured. They want to see peace in the streets. Like what kind of what kind of person could be president and want to see street fighting and want to see things on fire and, and the system not working? And I go, well, nobody wants that. But then you sort of see the way that people act, and particularly this president act, and you go like, "Their their people are being primed for street fighting and and disenchantment and anger and violence." When we get to the November election, and it just sort of shocks my general disposition towards people who are engaged in politics. Um, 
you know, this, this episode is kind of focused, um, I think around the central fear of American history and the central fear of the founders, which was the idea of one man rule autocracy. And it's something that we learn about in our US history classes. And it's something that I never really came to understand until seeing the Star Wars prequels. I remember like the first time that I ever thought of American democracy this could be temporary. And that was during the Bush years. I was a young Republican, um, but I had just seen episode three, Revenge of the Sith. And it just hit theaters and discussion of Chancellor Palpatine transforming the Republic into an empire was kind of everywhere in my schoolyard the next day. I remember talking to my friends about it over lunch. And I vividly remember one of my friends saying like, do you ever think Bush would try to stay in office? And I just you know, I was I was a teenage, <laughs> uh, really obnoxious Republican, and I was just like, nah, that's silly. But I, I was kind of just silently thinking about it, like, what if? And I, I don't know. I, I think that we're just sort of at this point where it just seems more plausible than ever. And it's based around disorder and just sort of the dysfunctionality of where we are in our politics, that people are not actually engaged in good faith. And that's Palpatine. Like Palpatine was never trying to save anything. He doesn't love democracy. He was trying to reshape the world that we live in. And Danielle, I, I, I guess I just want to kick it to you. Like I just don't ever anticipate that there are people in the system who want to upend it. I think that's what's been, if anything, shocks me um, or shocked me in that moment with this tweet and like connecting it to the lessons that we hopefully all gleaned and we can talk about through the star Wars universe is like um, the, well, for me, like the thing that makes America great has been that we've had these beautiful, peaceful transitions of power. Um, no matter if it swings from one side to the other, those transitions are always peaceful and we move forward. And that sets us apart from other timelines and other places in the world. And also the thing that should set us apart is the checks and balances, right? Like, um, when things go too far, there's usually a swift uh, structural or institutional um, entity that puts things back in balance. And we don't have that um, with this president. I think it's too late with the media coming in to try to be like, oh, no, well, now we're going to cut away. It's like, no, now we're like 50 days out from the election. You should have done this like two years ago. Um, but also even where we are today and what we didn't have before in the previous elections and administrations is sort of the widespread, fast-paced dissemination of news and information and the lack of checks and balances from a Twitter or a Facebook or social media or other sort of digital entities or even from his own party to step away or back away from the nonsense, which has happened before. There has been in the Republican Party and the Democratic Party, swift rebukes of folks that we think go too far or too fringe. And the Democratic side, those rebukes tend to come towards like an AOC or um, for me, from my perspective, mostly towards women of color. But those rebukes have happened in the past and there are not checks and balances. And I think that comes from that dissemination, what you see in like episode one, too. Um that swift turn. And I think you're exactly right. Like if you don't love what you're doing, if you don't love America and love, if you're not invested if in building power for others um, and 
keeping everything in balance. Now I feel like I'm a, <laughs> like a Jedi, like everything is in balance. But um, <laughs> if you're not like there for that, then things fall apart and that's where we are. And I think that's what's been really disappointing for me is that the structures, the things, the checks that I thought existed um, are not there. And that leads to, <laughs> I hate to use the word like being gaslit. Like even sometimes I'm like, am I hearing this? Is this crazy? And what's going on? So I, yeah, I just wanted to like, yeah, kick that around before we jump in too much into like episode one, or we can absolutely go into episode one. Uh, Danielle, I just want to pick off what you said about the checks and balances. And what I was thinking about today's conversation and I was, and I was meditating on some conversations I've had with family of mine via text, thankfully, because they probably turned to shouting matches on the phone, but it comes from like this lack of trust and our institutions. And I feel like when you, you mentioned, you know, tweets go out information so fast and every, and people have stopped, you know, we, we didn't see this and we didn't see the ramifications in Star Wars, how the lack of trust in institutions like, well, we kind of did, but the courts, you know, he's too, he's too, uh, he's too, he's too dangerous, dangerous to be left alive. alive. Yeah. The courts you know, are compromised. And so, right. Right. And the, the Jedi don't trust the courts. Well, no, we trust the Jedi, right? Like in, uh, who've been around for millennia, you know, protecting the peace and nobody trusts the committees and the Senate. Um, we didn't really actually see how the media or, plays out in star Wars, unfortunately, because I think that would have kind of been a harbinger of where we are today in 2020, where, you know, it's record lows for trust in media. It is record lows for the trust in public institutions where before folks would go to, not necessarily a single source, but a shared source of information or community information that we get something from and not perhaps, you know, call it out or not question it, but would agree on a set of facts and would agree on a set of normalcies that, yes, this happened. This is a thing. This is how we talk about it. Whereas now, you know, that, that trust is gone and we don't have this, we, we, we can't even talk about the history of our nation with, you know, in fact-based ways that tell, tell people, you know, we, you know, the right to vote for women did take a hundred years. It wasn't just two days. You know, we, we can't even talk about any of the things that's happened around race without having to just try to break through the narrative of this is actually the facts on the ground. It's not yeah. just because it's from a website. Nick, one thing I just want to add, because you, you mentioned trust and, and, and sort of uh, the media, Justin Bolger, uh, one of the social media managers for Star Wars, and he's got a pretty active Twitter presence as well. He, he mentioned last week on Twitter that he viewed Mace Windu as one of the biggest tragic characters of the prequels because Mace Windu had somewhere lost an ability to defend the very thing that Palpatine was trying to take away. And it's that moment in the office, you know, where he says, you know, uh, uh, he can't be he's too dangerous to be left alive. He's got control of the Senate and the courts. And, and it's this moment when people have talked about this with Mace Windu, cause he's kind of a, he dabbles in sort of dark side practices, but like he, he doesn't, believe in the Republic. He does actually think the Jedi need to take over because there is a moment uh, of just sort of total instability and no trust. Um, he doesn't actually believe in the thing that's worth trying to save. And I want to back us up a little bit here to the, the Palpatine outcome. 
the outcome of you know the strong man kind of sweeping in using opportunity using distrust uh, using chaos um, to you know take control of a democratic system of government and turn it into something entirely different do you view the palpatine outcome as being the core of your greatest fears in politics is resisting the pull toward one man rule dictatorship is that your north star when you kind of think about like what motivates you underneath all the minutia of policy politics and elections that's a really great question i'm i'm gonna think on the and speak on the fly just because I, yeah, in, in the end, I would say, you know, uh, equality under the law and preventing that outcome, probably because of the prequels, you know, really laying it out in my formidable youth, uh, finishing college around that time and coming out as a, a democratic activist and campaign uh, person, you know, did view the world in that lens, thanks to Palpatine, right? That's like the end game. And I, so I would say that is really- Was, was Palpatine kind of your education on that? Like, because I, I think, yeah, I don't, I would, we, yeah. yeah. I we all went through like general American history and World yeah, War II, yeah. but like right, Palpatine right. made it feel real to me. It did. It definitely did make it feel more real. You kind of really could put a face to, oh, this is how this is how Hitler and Mussolini and those, and those really authoritarian figures in our own history- Caught to power, right? And you could see how, to, and really, Lucas laid it out wonderfully. Like, you know, you had democracy, and um, you know, democracy was surrendered. Um, you know, it wasn't just you know taken; it was just given away. Uh, but I, I would say, yeah, for me, then just kind of reflecting really briefly, if it, you know, it's definitely part of that north star of how do we keep what we have in terms of uh, you know this republic? Yeah, I think. Um so it's a little difficult for me um, because you know, I'm an elected official sworn to uphold the Constitution of the state of North Carolina and the United States of America, but I'm also black in America, and it also feels like I'm upholding institutions that were structurally built to not benefit me. Um, so I think sometimes I feel a little bit like a gungan in this in like the beginning period, but I think with Palpatine and that watching that decay and, or that piece of like, like handing over, uh, democracy in that way and the really terrifying way that it happened. I mean, we've seen that. I feel like I saw it back in, you know, today's November or September 13th. I feel like I saw it right after September 11th, um, in high school. We were so willing, we were so afraid to just allow like the creation of um, departments, the creation of Homeland Security or NSA. I don't know when they actually like came up, but you know, mm -hmm. this swift like move to war, this swift like do whatever you can to make sure we're safe, right? Um, and like that backfired. And I feel like there should have been lessons learned from that, right? Um, which is why now I'm like a, swift defender of what we have because I feel like even though it's not built for me, there has been progress in ways for me and my community um, to move forward. But if we go too far, um, then I don't know if we can come back. And that's what scares me. And that's what I saw um, in Star Wars. And that's what it is yeah. with Palpatine, right? 
Danielle, I, I, I'm really glad you mentioned that because I always go back to the Patriot Act as something that reminds me of why you want hurdles in your system of government to public passions, even though the hurdles sometimes don't actually work out. Like It, it took one month and two weeks for the most substantial unconstitutional package of bills in the 21st century, I think, to this point to pass Congress. Uh, and to be signed by the president and largely left alone by the courts. It, it was signed as a package on October 26th, 2001. And just last week, the US Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit said that warrantless telephone dragnets uh, programs that were collecting millions of American telephone records violated the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act and may well be unconstitutional. So, like, where checks and balances, definitely failed and public passions prevailed and you know unified government as if that is always some sort of virtue um, failed whistleblowing and you know Snowden and, and likes of the of people like him kind of pulling back the curtain has kind of helped and and helped to make things a little bit better but mostly these programs still stand and everyone in this conversation uh, uh, Danielle Nick myself we I think we understand the trade-offs at play in the way American democracy is designed. And by that, I mean it has representative aspects, the, the, the tapping of delegates and senators and congressmen to channel your interests as a citizen, the use of electors in the Electoral College to determine presidential outcomes. We're not built around this idea of direct democracy. And given that no system is perfect, and I think Danielle just spoke to this, do you look at our idea of democracy positively or, or negatively? Uh, go ahead, Nick, if you have uh, some. No, ladies first. No, go ahead. I'll come back to it. You go ahead. So I think that's just the tension, right? Um, it, to, it's both and. It's not either or for me. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the pull. Um, because I am defending something that I also fundamentally believe is not for me. And I will defend it <laughs> with my last breath. <laughs> it's because you think the alternative is worse. Right, right. Like, I, it's just, um, I fight for the potential of our democracy, of what I believe our democracy could be, but is has yet to fulfill. Um, and I think that's sort of also... Like when you move forward in the Star Wars universe, it's like, what are they fighting for? They're fighting for the potential of the galaxy um, to be a source of balance and peace for everyone. And I think, and and not everyone's favorite movie, um, um, you know, Rose talks about that a little bit um, when it looks, you know, and it's like, it looks beautiful on the outside, but look at those who are left behind. So, um, that's, I, I think that's the greatest thing, you know, that we're not fighting against the things we hate, but for what we love. And for me, like the idea of where our democracy could be, um, is worth fighting for. I don't know if that makes sense. Makes sense to me, Nick. Oh no, that makes perfect sense to me. And I, Danielle, I always go back to, for me, the idea of we were fighting for what you love, um, you know, I have a I have a, a keychain from my grandfather who who has since passed away many years ago who fought in World War II and fought in the Pacific. But he he has a, a keychain uh, of the poem by Emma Lazarus on Statue of Liberty, and he he was not a perfect man. You know he definitely had you know 
racist on feelings towards Japanese and, uh, you know, even to, you know, later in his life. But, you know, he he kept that keychain to him for a reason. He kept it, uh, we would have conversations around his belief that we have something higher to achieve. You know, like we do have a country that means something to the rest of the world that while it is not perfect, it is up to us to both defend it and criticize it and make it better. Um, and that's, I feel like the honest conversations that we have stopped having uh, to a certain point, when you get to the water's edge of the red versus the blue lines. Um, and it kind of comes back to something you said earlier, Stephen, um, around yeah, the kind of the, the, the fast nature and the perfect storm from 9-11 and, and kind of how that, and you too, Danielle, both woke you up to this idea that the strong man can come in and, and take over. And, and I, you know, think about, I'm just reflecting here, thinking about current day where, um, and I think maybe Stephen, might have a conversation you, might have, you and I might have had about the, the COVID response and, you know, just this institutional mask wearing and really having yeah, yeah. You know, authoritarian governor, no, I'm authoritarian governor, sorry, like, like authoritarian approaches by governors. Authoritarian <laughs> governor Kowobo. <laughs> Right. You know, say, you know, here's a mask, wear it, you know, it's a threat to democracy. But I'm thinking of like, what would have happened if, because I, I don't believe that Trump is, is Palpatine because Trump's end goal is not world domination. I mean, for me, I, I would believe his role, his goal is for the Trump family name to just make a ton of money. Right. Um, and you know, do whatever I can to increase our bottom line for this family and, 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 and that's it and not look like a loser. Um, but, you know, what if he would have come out with some really 9-11 like Patriot Act things for for COVID, right? Where, and this is kind of like a Pandora's box of where we would go from here, like where would we all would have landed with that? Was that the response we wanted from him? Did we, you know, would that have gotten the response from his supporters as don't wear a mask, it's all fake, you know, everybody's going to be fine. It's going to disappear really, you know, spoke to his supporters more than anybody else. Um, you know, or we, were we just too already split on him as a leader that whatever he would have said, we would have not believed it. Or, you know, was 9-11 such a different time when we really were pulling to trying to pull together as, as a group of people where still today, again, we're just divided on basic sound fact that, you know, this is how the virus transfers. This is what causes it. And it's not just, we don't like these certain aspects of industry, but this is what causes things to be worse. And we're trying to protect people. And so for me, it's kind of been, that has been a very interesting thought for me as we look at how do we lose democracies? Is it because so many people just give up on the system and just trust their faith in one person they maybe don't really like, or they do, or is it because uh, of the fer- the ferocity of that support of a particular person because they just don't trust the rest of the institutions to save them anymore. I think this is why, and and the way that you you rounded that down, Nick, is is perfect because that's why I wanted to do this episode because there there's been this thought that's just kind of been swirling in my head for a long time. And then it became crystal clear one day while I was listening to the Ezra Klein show from Fox as where all crystal clear neoliberal thoughts come from. Um, And I was thinking about Trump's tweet uh, and his suggestion that the election be delayed and, and for people's safety. And I was wondering like, is this just all like a red herring? Like, is this going to be the thing that we focus on every couple of weeks that we think, 
you know, Trump is going to become Maduro or something, and and he's just not going to leave power. I mean, it's kind of I, I think our our classic American uh, dystopian fantasy that we're going to have some sort of dictator. And I look at Americans and American government in particular, and I just go. I don't know how you seize control of this. <laughs> There's no way to dictator this, um, and that that's a, it, possibly naive, but like that is just kind of my gut feeling. Is like it's just probably not the way that it's going to go down for us. It's not going to be like Palpatine. That's too simple, um, and that's a credit, I think, to some of the wild ways in which our system is designed. And it just got me thinking, and it's why I did this episode, which is what are the other things that we need to be aware of? Are we going to lose our democracy in a way that is just not the Star Wars way? Um, there's so many possibilities. And I, I have a couple in mind. I want to just put it on the table first and see what y'all think. Um, is there something more insidious, more insidious happening? that we are missing and that sort of focusing on potential dictators causes us to miss? A hundred percent. And that's the thing that worries me is that we're uh, not keeping our eye on the ball, right? Like it's um, one of those like kids books where you like the 3D thing where you tried to find the image inside and we're just being detracted by every other thing. Like Trump to me is just distraction. Um, The thing that is at stake to me are our courts are the checks and balances, are the things that make our system somewhat like acceptable. Um, to me, like every thing that has moved us a step further and moved us forward has come in the courts um, and not paying attention to the Senate, right? Um, we can, we know what happens when you have a Senate that's shut shit down right (laughs) so (laughs) so it's like like everything is at a standstill it doesn't matter if you're like oh we have this like you know from our side this great um you know house of representatives if you have a senate that's not here about it and can like unilaterally make decisions and confirm people and move them in then you're missing the point um and i think even in like obama years like he was held down um, especially uh, in the beginning, by the inability to move Congress um, and was able to put in, like, in the in- inability to get, like, Neil Gorsuch. What's that? Was that his name? Gorsuch. Gorsuch. Yeah. 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 Like, the inability to, like, have impact in meaningful ways on the courts. Um, a third of the courts right now are, like, essentially, like, Trump appointees <laughs> you know it's like, there's like i think so i think that's the number and then it's like a strategy right like we're gonna get right. these young people in they don't necessarily have to be like qualified sorry if these are your people steven um that's okay. <laughs> but you know but they're gonna get those lifelong appointments neil so gorsuch is just like brimming with youth no, no, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, the strategy, you know, of like getting yeah. like we're going to put 30 year olds in who are going to be on the bench for 50 years and we yeah. can't move forward. That's the threat. And I don't know if there's um, a Star Wars equivalent to that. Like, maybe not everyone, like, maybe Mon Motha isn't as dope as I think she is, right? Like, maybe she had like nefarious things underhanded and like sending all the rebels and all like <laughs> the folks out to like die for her ideas too. Um, 
I don't know. We can. Well, she was not sufficiently <laughs> radical and uh, and revolutionary for, enough for Saw Gerrera. So, <laughs> I've I've loved how Mon Mothma in some Star Wars fan circles has become like this Hillary Clinton avatar, and people are now being like, "I'm Team Saw Gerrera." Burn it all down. But no, I mean, like Danielle, like what you're what you're saying about the courts is is kind of goes to. This, this Ezra Klein critique, which is that the Republicans have given up on this strategy of trying to govern uh, by getting the most votes possible from the most people. And they've gone the strategy of entrenchment through different institutions, the Senate, right? And court appointments. That's why the court has become like the high mecca of the Trump administration and his big branch to Republicans who don't want to vote for him, but kind of know like, oh, like he is right. Like the Supreme Court is very important and it impacts an entire generation. So I'm going to go ahead and go with him. Um, and and I, I take that critique and that matters. That does matter that like one party in a two-party system has basically just gone the route of trying to do things that have the last, most long-lasting effect possible that don't involve voters. But on the other side of that, and I, I can't name names right now, but like in outlets such as The Atlantic, in Vox, in The Washington Post, you, you now get barrages of think pieces about why we need to get rid of the Senate, why we need to dissolve the idea of the life appointment for the Supreme Court justice. And I go, and you're telling me that Trump and Republicans are the only people who no longer want to protect the system. It just kind of seems that in some cases, you have progressives who have given up on trying to deal with it as it is, and they also want to just break things because Republicans are using them better than they are. What say you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's. I would say that's a fair. I would say that's a fair assessment um, of how. We have just gotten so so far apart from again understanding what the normalcies are and how do we use those to benefit to benefit citizens and to and to move it progressively forward, um, you know, long term and not just be a reaction to a political game plan, right? And and I, and I and I'm really processing, you know, Danielle's words on being a African American woman who is upholding the system and also trying to fix it as well, and, and being uh, knowing that the institution wasn't built for yourself, but you have then these entrenched interests that are getting more entrenched. And how do you? How that that's the thing for me is that you look at some of those game plans. It's almost like folks want to fight fire with fire, but then you just you you burn the house down. You lose the opportunity to really create that society that you want to uphold. And for me, I think it continuously comes back to this level of trust that we have between each other and believing that you can build a nation, America, the United States, that can truly be that can truly treat people the way it should and be good for people and, and allow an equitable chance of opportunity to be shared amongst those that need it, uh, to have you know, conversations and to have policies in place that, yes, are going to be heavier on others uh, because there are folks that need more support because of the you look at history, look at the long terms of the things that we've done structurally that have put us where we are today. Um, but it just comes down to why why can't we 
see the long game and see how, why well, I, I think Daniel mentioned earlier, like Trump is a distraction. Like it's not like, you know, these little flashes in the pan, these tweets or, or him himself, that it, it is not, yes, it, it potentially could be a danger. We don't know how never was going to shake out, but maybe not because of what he does, but what his supporters do and the lack of trust his supporters have in then trusting the system to be fair. Right. And maybe even on the left, if, you know, the lack of trust that maybe he has instituted in some of, in some places for us to think that the election is going to be legitimate, that he hasn't suppressed enough votes that meant that the, that the United States Postal Service is actually operating just fine. Um, you know, for me, even I had to check myself and make sure that this, you know, looking at some of the, the hyperbole coming out about the postal service was either true or not. Um, and you kind of read it and you kind of get to the folks that run the ground game. I talked to my local postman and he's like, you know, we're, you know, we're doing fine. Like we, you know, we have some issues, but it's not because of what you hear. It's because of these other things. Right. And that's where you have to start having these conversations with the people that are on the ground that is not flashy and is not sexy, but that's where democracy lies. It lies in having that trust that you have with your fellow citizen in that agreement to make things better for everybody, not just jump down whatever avenue is convenient to win and to win for this cause that to me right now, you know, might, might be it, but without stepping back and thinking, okay, where, where does this end for us in terms of the, the democracy uh, can be very dangerous. And so I, I, I worry we have gotten, we, we're past that now. Like we are past the, wherever it happens in November, that trust has been eroded by so many that it might not be Trump that does the Palpatine or anybody perhaps, but it just heightens it even greater 10, 12 years from now, maybe less than that, because we are primed now to look at things that we haven't before. Yeah. I am really glad that both of you had mentioned distraction because Distraction through social media, through I think the spectacle of the Trump show, has become one of my great concerns with other ways in which we're going to sort of lose the game and give away uh, this thing called freedom or liberty, democracy, whatever you'd like to peg it as. And it reminds me of an article that was written by someone who was featured on on this episode, Seth Maskett, a uh, political scientist out in Denver. He wrote in Vox a piece called Amusing Ourselves into Tyranny, the Political Messages of the Star Wars Christmas Special or Holiday Special. And it's it's kind of a cheeky article, but it, it has a, a valid point. The, the, the plot of the, the holiday special is that you have this sort of uh, Wookiee society on Kazook, a, a sort of you know later understood it to be Kashyyyk. Um, and it's occupied by the empire. And you have soldiers busting down doors at random points in the holiday special, rummaging through the Wookiees stuff. They interfere with trading and business uh, at, at different Wookiee shops. There are curfews imposed on the Wookiees. But then <clears throat> Maskett looked at something a little bit behind the scenes, like something that was going on that most people weren't talking about, which is that these Wookiees are like hanging out in these tree houses. And in just one single treehouse scene, he could find, I believe the number was eight different screens and forms of entertaining technology that the Wookiees were engaged in while like 
stormtroopers were knocking on their door. And he lists them off, and it includes a hologram circus performed on a chessboard, a living room video chat system, a secret video chat system hidden behind a bookshelf, a large screen in the kitchen in which one uh, the character's Mala is watching a cooking show, a virtual reality helmet where one of the characters, Itchy, is basically watching softcore porn, a small screen on which Lumpy is watching an animated rendition of his father meeting Boba Fett, another holographic device performing a show by Jefferson Starship, and another DIY computer containing a bunch of different screens. And the the idea here is just that like the Wookiees are comfortable. They're happy. They are entertained. And that is the number one danger of giving in to Trump and all of his distractions and our social media lives is that we're just missing the stuff that really matters, particularly in our communities. If you're involved in local government, all you care about is like the fight. I don't know. Maybe this is the wrong example, but like the fight over Louis DeJoy and and the USPS. And you're just going like, is this the thing that I should be concerned about? Or is it zoning arguments that are going on in my city council where they're deciding whether or not people can have access to housing? You know, I, I, that's, that's matters, I think. A hundred percent. Like I'm in a situation now where we put um, like a housing transit bond and like there's a billion dollars at stake in my local government. And then <laughs> our city council is about to do a vote where they're going to hand off like, like hundreds of thousands of dollars to a firm in Texas. And like, no one knows, no one cares, but I'm like, I should be like, we should, (laughs) right? Like Trump is going to tweet dumb stuff. Like that's going to exist. And yeah, like I, one, I also need to a hundred percent watch this holiday special. Where can I get it? Tell me it's on Disney plus because it sounds (laughs) amazing. Um, I think I think YouTube and and you will hate yourself trying to watch it. It's a, it's it's a labor of love. I I don't know softcore porn and cooking and Jefferson Starshippers. I'm on hundred percent for it. Um, but um, yeah, like that's the thing is the distraction, and I think that's also um, again not everyone's favorite episode, but like. I feel like that's what Rose was trying to get across to Finn. Like, don't don't be swayed by the distractions. Like, the shiny stuff is meant to keep you off your guard, to keep you from seeing what's really there. Um, and I think that's, like, the truth, too. And, you know, I still have conflicted feelings about the Jedi, um, especially the Jedi's role in... Um, the first episodes in the Clone Wars and shared in a uh, very good episode that you did with me on Barisanti. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. but it, it's still you know, and like we don't have Jedi's, you know, running around uh, who are either gonna like fight for us. It's like it's on us. So it's, um, yeah, I think that's this really where it stands. Is like we're like consumed by so much. Like I saw more people tweeting about like keeping up with the Kardashians, not Kardashians, Kardashians. That's their names. I wanted to make sure I wasn't like crossing into Star Trek territory. How dare you? Uh, 
Yeah. I know. <laughs> but um, like, you know, upset and like the world, like media, like shutting down, like, oh my gosh, it's the end of an era. Really, I feel like the attacks on our democracy are an end of an era. Like maybe we should tweet about that. Um, so it's it it's it's a tactic, right? Like that's how you do. That's how the empire happened. Like you destabilize right? Like you cause chaos, you cause confusion. You don't know which way to look. You don't know if up is down is left is right. Um, you are so over stimulated that like you miss the really important things that are going on. And that's, that's how the bad guys win. I'm not saying Republicans are the bad guy. That's not where I'm saying, but it's like, I feel like there's <laughs> I don't want to get into any like QAnon, but there's some there's someone who's pulling the strings and I don't know who they are. Um, and that's the thing. It's like that's what we have to be mindful of. We have to like pay attention um, or our republic will become an empire um, and we will be the ones to wrap it up in a bow and hand it over uh, neatly packaged, probably in Amazon shipping it's probably bezos let's be real like it's 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 all coming down to bezos (laughs) that's what's gonna happen he's he's at least more articulate of an overlord than mark zuckerberg and uh that's gonna be what happens in the end nick i i want to just kind of give you an open-ended opportunity to to weigh in and maybe bring us to a close on some of the stuff danielle said what things you're concerned about that that maybe aren't the shiny object of the potential of a, a presidential coup um, you know, are you are you concerned about anything else that's just more um, elusive? No, yeah. And, uh, so thanks for the um, the heavy task of trying to <laughs> trying to wrap this up in a bow. I feel like Rice of Skywalker. Um, no, see, I, I think though I'm I'm sitting here thinking of where are we if we are any place in our democracy on the Star Wars spectrum uh, that we know of it? Are we at Revenge of the Sith? Are we at Return of the Jedi? Or are we at Rise of Skywalker um, in terms of what is going to be our our people's reaction to things as they continue to go on? Are we going to willingly give up on democracy because of this greater threat and fear or because we're too distracted by other things that we're being told that's is more important? Um, are we going to, what it seems like at first, win the victory of the day? which is put all that to rest and then move on to only have it be worse and have our kids or grandkids have to fight that battle 30 something years later and actually hopefully end it. Um, and and I, I'm wondering where we are in that Star Wars timeline because I think we do have right now an unfortunate, um, la- not let's say lack of vision, maybe lack of vision, but lack of understanding of what happens right between um, Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. Where does the state of the galaxy? How did institutions not see this coming, right? Which could be itself a lesson. Like, we don't know the answers, but it could be a lesson for us to, as we're trying to do here, figure out what is the things that we should be focusing on that we're taking our eyes off of. And that's that's a hard thing to do without complete, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty. But if we learn lessons from our own past... We know that it is incredibly important to value the thought and the worth of folks that we have overlooked for, you know, generations. 
what <clears throat> what is the what is the state of the immigrant? How how do they view democracy in our republic when when we incorporate them into our society? What what is going to be the state of this this nation for ch- our children or our, maybe our grandchildren? Not just like in the overall, but we're taking our eyes off the ball around basic public education, basic public health. Um, the things that will dictate in 15 years, you know, when my daughter is old enough to vote, what she votes on, um, you know, what the state of the world is going to be based upon, you know, the basic foundations that we have neglected. And you can look in North Carolina, for example, our disinvestment from education, education, um, higher institutions of learning, um, investments in the health of urban and rural people. Um, you know, and, and really kind of focusing, just focusing on, you know, suburbia and, and, and one type of, one type of North Carolinian college graduates as being the, the, the ones you want to win over and support that to me, like the basic, the, just the basic foundations of what makes this democracy great. Uh, it really, or it really could, cause I, you know, in the, in, in, as in the past, it has not treated everybody the way that it should, but building that system that will, attempt to, you know, not, not erase the damage is done, but learn from them and build the opportunities for everybody that is, is coming up after us that they need. That is going to be for me, the, the thing that we're not paying the most attention to is the, is, is these basic functions of your healthcare, right? And again, COVID's here. Um, you know, we still have these issues of people, you know, being afraid to go to the doctor, um, you know, not knowing how much it's going to cost them to get tested. Um, and then education. Let's not even dive into the basic functions of how we cannot even grasp our heads around how do we support learning in a, in a virtual environment for our students that is that is going to be effective, uh, but support parents and families. You know, these are the big things that we are taking our eyes off of that we should have been paying attention to a long time ago. Um, and, you know, there are going to be other things that we're noticing right now that if we don't get serious about addressing, they're going to pop up for the next crisis that comes down the line. Uh, and let's be honest, for our generation, and I'm pretty sure the three of us are in the same one, me probably being the oldest one, but you know, this generation has been through so much pain and trauma that if we just step back and think of it, it is just unbelievable to want to sit on the sidelines and not prevent that trauma for the next generation. There's one thing I know to be true. It is that we learn more about who we are in a crisis. And I I would definitely agree. And second, that coronavirus has revealed some ugly things about what we accept as normal and what we are not prepared to deal with. I don't want to round this down, but the Beltway Bantha's audiences who did the survey asking how long they want shows to be said never more than an hour and we're at 50 minutes. So I'm going to bring us to a close here on this conversation on democracy, how you can lose it, what Star Wars does and does not teach us about preserving our democratic freedoms. Um, Danielle Adams, Nick DeCalandria, I can't thank you enough for being part of this conversation. Your patience, um, your measured thoughts, and uh, and just sharing um, all of your experiences and insight. Thank you so much for coming on Beltway Banthas. Thanks for having us on the show. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having us, Stephen.
I want to offer another huge thank you to my guests, Nick DeCalandria and Danielle Adams, two essential voices in nerddom and Star Wars fandom that I, I value very much and thought you needed to hear from. They're friends. We don't agree on much, and you wouldn't really know it, because when we approach conversation with the mission being understanding one another and not doing combat as a primary motive, you realize that sometimes the only things dividing you are, in fact, word choices, the ability to articulate yourself, vocabulary, and process. By that, I mean the how to your mutual why or what. That's not always the case, but it is what we strive for in Beltway Banthas and our intent on leaning on Star Wars to find each and every episode. So please give our newsletter a shot. Subscribe over at politicizeme.substack.com. That's politicizeme.substack.com for a regular dose of pop culture and political thought. The stuff you need to know to keep up with Beltway Banthas. And that is, of course, an added perk. Now, speaking of keeping up, our next episode is already in the shop being worked on. We're going to be delving into political division in Star Wars in the form of the Separatist Crisis and the Galactic Civil War, and searching for lessons on how to avoid and survive total alienation from your fellow citizens that can take a polity to a very deep and dark place. Our guest is going to be David French, formerly a senior editor of National Review and now a head honcho, one of the head honchos over at The Dispatch. His new book just dropped. I bought it. You should too. And it's called Divided We Fall, America's Secession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation. I'm really excited to put this new one together. Now we're going to have roundtables with each new episode. So tell me who I should invite for the next roundtable episode on civil strife and division. Maybe it's Nick and Danielle again. Maybe it's not. Maybe you have somebody in mind that should be part of that conversation. So tell me about it. Email me at beltwaybanthas at gmail.com. And you can tweet over to Beltway Banthas and myself at Stephen underscore Kent 89. Now, I need your support. We need your support for this show, Riley and, and me both, to help this community grow. And that's as simple as please share this podcast with a friend. Tell someone about it. Post about it on social media. Let your people know. Throw us a review. Leave us a rating anywhere that you listen to your podcast. And like, oh, I just have this dream of one day Beltway Banthas gets featured by Apple Podcasts or Spotify and recommends it to everybody to, to tune in and listen to because that would just totally change the game for this podcast. And that only happens if people are in waves making recommendations for this podcast podcast. So please, if you haven't done it, go do it. And that brings us to an official close. We'll see you again in October. Until then, may the force be with you always. <laughs>